We'll be in Psalm 123, that's 123. And, uh, you know, we're in this um, series entitled The Pilgrim's Path, and we're walking through the Songs of Ascent over the summer. It's a 15-week stint that we're looking at this at Psalms 120 uh, to 134. And what we see in, in these psalms, that these were songs that were chanted or sung by God's people as they're headed to Jerusalem to worship God on a minimum three times a year, right? So they were headed towards Jerusalem to worship God, and they would have been chanting these songs. And most theologians would agree that these 15 psalms can be broken out into five sets of three. So they're kind of in sets of, like, they're like triads, okay? So we are in week four right now, so we're in the beginning of the second triad, okay? So generally, in those sets of three, the psalmist will have the same emphasis in number one, two, and three. Okay, so in the first of the three, generally, uh, the psalmist will be expressing a situation of distress for either the psalmist himself or God's people or maybe both. Okay, so a situation of distress in the first one. The second emphasizes the Lord's power to keep the person amidst their distress, amidst their agony, that the Lord has the power to keep or deliver them. And the third of the three, the theme is generally security in the Lord. Okay, so that's one, two, and three. So we are in the fourth week. So if we can do our math for a second, I know it's not math class, but we are on one, two, three, four. We are on a week one, which is emphasizing a situation of distress for God's people. So that's what we see here in Psalm 123, that uh, the psalm begins in an individual lament. The psalmist individually is saying, Have mercy on me, God. But then he moves into a community or a corporate lament for all of God's people for how they're being treated. So let's go ahead and turn to God's word uh, this morning. It's Psalm 123. It's only four verses, but we're going to be in this whole chapter today. It's Psalm 123. A song of ascents. To you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Uh, God, we come before you today um, just thankful that you have given us uh, this book of the Psalms that many theologians would say express every emotion of the soul. And Father, as we look to Psalm 123 today to see a moment of distress for the psalmist, for the people of God, we pray uh, that our hearts uh, would, would see the beauty of the one who is our refuge amongst distress. Father, we pray that you would be with us today. Help us to focus on your word and to see you more clearly. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, my kids are getting older. Um, they're now eight and seven, and then Audra's still young. She's two, but 
Um, as they've gotten older and they've gone to school these last couple of years, I'm having a, a very similar conversation with them a lot. That's actually, I would say, one of the, the more difficult things. You know, people tell you when you have little babies that it only gets harder, and you're, you're not sleeping at all, right? And you're like, it can't get harder than this. But I'm actually seeing that it's harder in a different way, right, when they're getting old. And I'm sure it will. Um, you parents that have had teenagers and those sorts, I'm sure it gets harder than where I am with eight and seven now. But one of the things that I've had to really wrestle with my own kids is that they'll come home from school, or they'll come home from a party of some sort, and they'll say, why, why are the people so mean to me? And you know, me as the daddy, like, who was mean, right? That's what I want to say. I don't say that, but I want to say that. But because there's something in, inside of us that knows that is not how life is supposed to function, right? That humans are not supposed to fight with one another. And as I have encountered this over and over again, I, I try to point my kids to the grand narrative of Scripture, right? That God created a perfect world in the beginning where there was harmony, amongst humans and between humans and God. But when sin entered the picture, it fractured all of creation, meaning it fractured our relationship with other people. Now we are selfish, right? And I tried to explain to them how daddy is selfish and they are selfish, right? That we are all selfish and we are mean to one another. So human relationships are fractured by sin, Try to get this point across to them. And I've told them over and over again this truth. And for me, as an adult now, I'm thankful for the opportunity, right? Because I have, it's a reminder for me. This is like one of the beautiful things about being a parent. It's a reminder for me, right? That when I get hurt, that I am reminded that it was not supposed to be this way. And as a Christian especially, we will receive hurt from the world because the world opposes our king, Jesus. And that's what we see in this text today, that God's people are being scorned at the hands of other people for their faith. And for us in the room, as as time moves forward now, as we are in 2023, it seems to be happening more and more. This is more and more normal. But today, we look at a psalm where the psalmist is on the receiving end. He's on the receiving end of scorn, of contempt. And we get to see his response. And I hope it will be an encouragement for you to see his response amidst his heart hurting. So the big idea we're looking at today, or the theme for today, is when scorned by the world, Christians are to cry out to the Lord for mercy. When scorned by the world, Christians are to cry out to the Lord for mercy. We're going to look at two things. We're actually going to look at the psalm in reverse order. We're going to look at contempt from the world in verses 3 through 4 first, and then mercy from the world in verses 1 through 2. So let's go ahead and look at verses 3 through 4, contempt from the world. It says this. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. So from the top of this section here, we see this repeated plea from the psalmist. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, have mercy upon me. And this use of repetition in anything in the Bible, when there's repeated phrases or words, that that needs to have a light bulb go off. That's important right there, that he's pleading for mercy. 
And then this section tells us that he's pleading for mercy due to the contempt that he is receiving from others, that he is receiving scorn and contempt from the proud of the world. So for all of us, for the psalmist and all of us, there's one thing to be treated poorly by another person. But there's another thing to receive contempt and scorn from another person. Scorn and contempt in the original language, and I would say in English when I looked them up, even our current use of it now are very similar words. Um, And they really get at the idea of making someone feel worthless or despicable. And the word scorn in the original could be translated mocking. Also, they are mocking the psalmist. So in other words, the psalmist is being mocked, made to feel worthless by the world. And often when we think about this type of attack, these attacks are often very personal to the person. It's not a general attack. It's a personal attack towards the very being of the person. James Boyce in his commentary says, The reason people mock what they oppose, aside from it being so easy, is that it is demoralizing and frequently effective. It is effective because it strikes at the hidden insecurities or weaknesses that almost everybody has. So for the psalmist, and I would say for all of us in the room, when we're reading this, Psalm 123, we understand what mocking does. You have been mocked, I have been mocked. We understand the hurt that comes with other people's words making us feel worthless. Maybe it brings up questions of doubt. Am I worthless? Is this true what they're saying? Is what I believe about the Lord really worth it? Should I really be doing this? You know, in our time specifically, our country is moving, has already moved, what most theologians and scholars would say, into a post-Christian era, right? That for several generations here, Christianity has been normal, but now the tide has changed. And now Christianity is often mocked. It is often scorned. And people are generally full of contempt towards Christianity. And for us, this can feel new. Something that was once normal and accepted, praised. My wife grew up in the South, even when she was growing up. One of the first questions you would ask someone is, where do you go to church? That was a normal question. That was normal then, but now it is generally mocked. And while this is a new era in the West, we have seen mocking and scorn and contempt come towards God's people from really the beginning of time. While this is new for our part of history, in our given place, it's not new for God's people. And I I bring this up not to diminish how we are feeling about it, but to show that God has been faithful for generation upon generation in the same situation. We think about Biblical history, Abraham, Joseph, Job, David, Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul, the disciples, church history. Think about Martin Luther, John Calvin. You can go down the list and see people in the history of the church who have been mocked and received contempt by what the psalmist says in verse 4, by the proud or the arrogant. One theologian in his commentary says, The children of God often find themselves mocked by the proud and arrogant of the world who rely on and seek only themselves and not God. So the proud 
do not feel like they need anyone else. I am self-sufficient. So in this case, the proud scorn the believer for this life of submission to the Lord that they live. So for us in this room today, I think it's helpful for us to recognize the pain and the hurt in this type of behavior towards God's people, right? To lament that, that is, this is an individual lament moving into a community lament, lament, the psalm itself. So we should do the same thing, that we should lament the hurt that comes to you and to me. And thinking about the generations to come to my children when they are adults. The psalmist says, we have received more than enough. We are at our wit's end. We need to remember the Lord never intended humanity to function in this way. The Lord never intended for us to fight with one another. So now in this moment, we can lament that many of us will be scorned for believing in Jesus. Whether that's in your workplace, in your schools, wherever it may be. In your friendships, most of us in the room will receive scorn for following Jesus in the coming years. And I think about how it hurts us, you and me, And I want us to remember that we have a God who hears us. That a God, we have a God who sees us. So we can lament all together, looking to him, this pain that we feel. The psalmist lays that on us, says, I've had more than enough. This is why many theologians will come to the psalms and say, it covers every emotion that you can feel because at times in life you've probably said this i've had more than enough i can't take it anymore but the psalmist also responds to this scorn and contempt by looking to the lord and i think this is where the encouragement comes so let's go ahead and look at the mercy from the lord in verses one and two starting in verse one he says this to you i lift up my eyes O you who are enthroned in the heavens So amidst this despair that he is sitting in, the psalmist is able to look through the trying circumstance, through the contempt, the mocking, the scorn. And where do his eyes go? The text tells us that his eyes go straight to the one who holds his life in his hand, to the Lord God seated on the throne of grace. James Boyce calls this psalm the psalm for weary eyes. Eyes that have been filled with tears over the scorn and contempt that they have received. Eyes that are weary from the pain that they hold over how they have been treated. treated. But in this psalm, we see a play on this word eyes throughout it. His eyes do not stay focused on the circumstance. Verse 1 says, His eyes are lifted up to the Lord, his true refuge. And it's important that he's saying they're lifted up. He's not looking even at God like a peer, like I need your help. He's not looking down on God like he's a genie in a bottle that I just need to rub the lamp and he'll come out and help me. No, he's looking up in dependence saying I am your servant. In verse 2 he goes on, it says this, Behold, As the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. 
till he has mercy upon us. So we see a very a similar um, metaphor kind of repeated twice here. And he's using this same language of looking with, his, with the eyes, right? First, we see the eye of a servant looking up towards their master. And a few interpreters, um, they've interpreted this metaphor in many different ways. But the consensus that I took from it was that generally these people, the servants, are looking to their master for relief because they would have received relief from their master and their master alone. But at the same time, while they are waiting for relief, the servant is still a servant. Not demanding of the master, but waiting for the relief from the master. Remember, in the same way, eyes looking up to God. This is the same picture that we get with a servant looking up to the master. And I would say for God's people, we are to do the same thing, to have our eyes fixed upon Jesus, up on Jesus, and waiting for his hand of relief. In the same way, the second metaphor, the maidservant focuses her eyes up towards her master. But both of them, the servant and the maidservant here, look to their masters for relief from their pain. Right? That's one way to see it. The other way is to think about from the master's perspective or the mistress's perspective. Think about it from the opposite side. The master looks upon the servants to show favor in kindness and generosity. So as God's people, as we look to the Lord, having received scorn and contempt and mocking from the world, the Lord looks at his people and shows us favor in kindness, in generosity, in mercy, in grace. So we see quite the contrast in the psalm, right? On one side, one party is giving scorn, contempt. They are mocking On the other side, the other party is giving mercy, is giving grace. From the world, we will often receive contempt and scorn, but from the Lord, we will receive mercy and grace. One theologian says this, It is a blessed thing that in our severest trials brought on us by our fellow creatures, that we can appeal from man to God. From the scorning and contempt of mortals to the mercy and grace of the King eternal, immortal, and invisible. So we seek the Lord in this for grace and mercy amidst contempt because it is the only place that we can find refuge. So when we look at circumstances that we're in now, when you are on the receiving end of this, There's many different reactions that we can have, right? You know, I think one of them we mentioned earlier is it causes us to doubt, right? We say, I don't, is this worth it? Should I even be following the Lord if this is the cost? Maybe you can believe them. You are worthless. Yeah, I am worthless. You can believe the lies. But I want to remind you in this that despite the generations of Christians that have received contempt and scorn, God has always shown himself faithful to his people. He has never left them. Remember, if you think back to even the the covenant with Abraham, we looked at this probably about a year ago, but if you're reminded that God's covenant, Abraham falls asleep 
God puts Abraham asleep during the covenant because he says, I will be faithful no matter what. I know you will break the covenant, Abraham. But God says, I will not. I will walk through the pieces of animal that are cut in half. And I will receive the penalty if I break the covenant. So God is a faithful God who will always be by our side. Secondly, maybe when we are scorned, when you receive contempt, one of the gut reactions will be to scorn back, to give contempt back. Use a, rip a Bible verse out of context and say, eye for an eye, man, you're going to scorn me, I'm going to scorn you. That's a gut reaction for, I would say, all of us, right? Like, but the Bible, the psalmist today in our text shows us that our eyes need not to be focused on the one who scorns us, but our eyes need to be focused upon God himself. That we look to Jesus to receive mercy and grace. So maybe your prayer is that you would have strength to do that. (laughs) Strength not to scorn back. Strength not to have contempt in your heart for another person, but that you would look to Jesus in your hurt. I think it's good for us to to look at the grand narrative of scripture like i mentioned at the beginning to see that you and i all of us in the room that we actually do deserve god's wrath uh, apart from the work of jesus we would all deserve it and that in our rebellion it's not that we have when i teach the kids in the communicant class when i teach this i i try to explain to them it's not like uh, a lot of times you think about the biblical storyline and the second chapter would be called fall so it's uh, creation and then fall. Um, it's, to me, sometimes we think about it that way. We think about our sin in that way, that we've kind of, oh, just tripped and fallen, like my little two-year-old, like she's still kind of learning how to walk well, right? And she kind of just trips and falls. Oh, it's an accident. But I think a better word for all of us is rebellion. We run away from God. It's not this that we just tripped and fell. No, it's like we slapped God in the face and ran away from him. Like we were rebelling in full rebellion against him. So while you and I have and will receive scorn and contempt from the world, we see that Jesus himself received the ultimate scorn and contempt that the world has to offer on our behalf. That the creator of the universe, he took on flesh, he lived perfectly, and yet the very people he came to save mocked and scorned him. He received contempt from those people he loves so dearly to come and save. He was despised, he was smitten, he was crushed for you and I. Jesus received the ultimate scorn and contempt so that you and I could cry out with the psalmist this morning from verse 4, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. He received the scorn and contempt we deserve so we could receive mercy, so we could cry out for mercy. Because of the work of God's Son, we now can receive this mercy and grace. And we can look to Jesus like the Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews says, that we could look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself 
so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So when we receive this contempt, this scorn from the world, as this psalmist did, the people of God did, we can be tempted to lose heart, to say, is it worth it? But let us look to Jesus, the one whom took our contempt, took our scorn that we deserved, that we may receive mercy from him. Let us pray together. God, we come before you as uh, men and women here who know our sin, we know our shortcomings, we know our faults better than we are we often admit. And Father, as people who have been covered by your grace and mercy through your blood, Father, we pray that we would be reminded that we are yours always, that you hold us in your hand, and that we're called to look beyond the scorn and the contempt of the world to Jesus, the one who took the ultimate scorn and contempt on our behalf. Father, as we come to your table now, we pray that our eyes would see you in a new way, that we would recognize our own sin, and that we would come to this table covered by the righteousness of Jesus being nourished by him. Father, be with us now. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.